Hello and welcome to Plan Francisco, the new podcast that interviews the best and brightest financial planning professionals in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Maxwell Schmitz. I need a plan, a magic key. Today, my guest is Tony Stewart. Years ago, Tony and I collaborated on a consumer-oriented publication titled Questions and Answers on Disability Insurance Workbook, which you can find on your local browser via Amazon. Tony's model is so unique because he's a registered life analyst, meaning he can legally charge a fee for insurance consultation. This is a fascinating model that is more and more relevant due to the trends sweeping financial planning firms and health insurance agencies today. Tony's always been a visionary, so be sure to pay special attention to his thoughts on the future of the industry. It was an honor to interview Tony, and I hope you enjoy as much as I did. The great Tony Stewart, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here, Max. Thank you for having me on today. Of course, of course. So why don't you, know, you kind of set the tone with the listeners and um, would love to get you know, your description of what you do on a daily basis. That's a great question and one that my wife asks me every morning. What do you do all day? <laughs> uh, I've been in the business for um, over 30 years and uh, I do quite a few different things. I have written a few books on insurance. Uh, I am uh, one of about 30 to 40 licensed life and disability insurance analysts in the state of California, allowing me to charge a fee for doing insurance consulting, which um, Mm. is pretty much the big part of my day every day. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes when uh, the insurance consulting leads to it, I do occasionally still write an occasional insurance policy. Very good. Excellent. So... How did you start with your role as an analyst? That's definitely a differentiating factor of your practice, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about how one gets started in that sector. Well, I got started in that sector due to uh, working with uh, financial advisors Mm -hmm. is uh, one of the questions that financial uh, advisors are oftentimes faced with is they have existing insurance policies with their new clients, and the clients ask them, what what are these insurance policies? What do they consist of? And so I wanted to come up with a way to um, be able to get paid, uh, bottom line, yeah. without having the conflict of having to sell an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So it removed that conflict of interest uh, with being faced of having to make a sale in order to earn compensation. Sure. No, and I keep hearing about more and more people not necessarily taking on the analyst role as their primary source, but maybe waiving um, a commission or something and instead charging a, a you know predetermined fee from the client. Um, so I, that's such such a visionary move. When did you start doing that? Uh, 1995. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it, it's still a rare thing is most people don't realize that in the state of California and in... Um, the states that have an equivalent license is that it is a separate license. It requires its own tests mm-hmm. and licensing requirements. And most people who are out there charging a fee right now are doing it. Um, I, I, what's the word for not in <laughs> compliance with the insurance code and technically could lose their insurance license for charging a fee for doing insurance consulting work without the life and disability insurance analyst license. Understood. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some tight laws around that. And, you know, if you're not compliant, 
venture to say maybe illegal activity, which you know sounds like it had you know we're throwing the book at him, but um, you know if it's predetermined with the client and all that, certainly there's there's some ethical decision making that goes into creating that decision making process. So we're not pointing or castigating, um, pointing fingers or castigating anybody right now, but you know certainly that's something to be aware of if you're considering a fee model or something like that. Exactly, is because the insurance department could come and enforce the regulation very easily. And the regulation does uh, provide some guidance on how to do it um, ethically. Uh, it includes guidance that you must have a signed agreement mm -hmm. with a client um, stating that you're charging a fee, mm -hmm. uh, that you're waiving the commission for doing that. Mm -hmm. And it includes um, a more in-depth test. Uh, you must be have your insurance license for five years, so there's a minimum experience requirement. The oh, test wow. is extensively more challenging than the life insurance agent, so it requires a higher degree of expertise as well, mm -hmm. which would separate you in the marketplace by getting the life and disability insurance analyst license or the equivalent consultant's license in other states. Oh wow, okay, that's good to know. So you can't necessarily practice across state lines, obviously it's got to be within the mandated, you know, state licensure. That one's a little trickier, that's a great oh. question, is uh, the insurance departments don't really have a firm ruling on that, um, mm -hmm. especially because some states don't have an equivalent license. Gotcha. Um, so that one that one's yeah. a little bit more gray area. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, there's got to be a pioneer in every in every new field, so that makes sense. Um, when when you're talking about the other, you said I think you're one of maybe thirty to forty um, life analysts, certified life analysts in in the state. Um, do you see people kind of gravitating to a certain line of coverage, or is it really kind of a holistic, comprehensive review of all insurances, or is it you know life and health only? There's a, I feel like there's a million different ways to cut it. Well, there are. I think the majority of people that I know that are successfully uh, charging a fee for insurance consulting work are almost predominantly in the life insurance area. Okay. Um, analyzing a disability insurance policy is relatively uh, easier um, and more clean than mm -hmm. a variable life insurance policy with a policy loan. Right. Uh, there's a lot more factors to consider there uh, than with most disability insurance policies. Now, granted, each disability insurance policy does have its own level of complexity and shouldn't be taken any lighter than a life insurance policy, but that is where the majority of people are working. Is in the variable life insurance space. Yeah. Uh, variable life, um, universal life. Uh, with universal life, it's been said that every policy sold in the 1980s and the 1990s is underfunded. Wow. So. Yeah. And that was a hot trend back then too, right? With the it, high interest rates and things like that. Exactly. And that's exactly where the, uh, the insurance companies have had issues is that projected interest rates at that time, you know, if you were being conservative, you were projecting out 7%, 7.5%. The trend was 8 to 10% from most agents. And we know that that has not held true in the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my my financial awareness lifetime, my financial adult lifetime, it's just been, you know, in the single digits, if that. Yeah. So, 
Um, all right, let's walk it back a little bit. I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you got into the insurance business and how your practice sort of evolved to the point where it has today. So um, let's start by asking just who's, who do you credit uh, for being responsible for bringing you into the, into the industry? Well, to be honest, like most people, I kind of fell into the insurance industry. Shocking. Rather than, yeah, yeah. Rather than having a direct plan to enter into the insurance industry, uh, when I graduated from college, I had a finance degree with an emphasis in investments, and my plan was to be a bond trader. And hmm. uh, at that time, um, I'd actually been hired by Crocker Bank, which was purchased almost immediately by Wells Fargo before I could act between the time I was hired and my starting date. Uh, there were a lot of experienced bond traders on the field, so I had to scramble um, to find something completely different. A friend of mine was working as a Transamerica career agent, and he suggested, and somebody I knew connected me with somebody who had an insurance brokerage business, and um, I went and interviewed with a plan like I think most people who start out in the insurance industry that I'll do it for a while until something more to my taste opens <laughs> up and here I am 30 plus years later. Yeah, yeah. High standards. Okay, so it was really Wells Fargo that brought you into this business. <laughs> in a round of forced me out of it. That's good. All right. Well, so what what kept you here? I mean, what why do you why did you end up staying? Well, I think one of the things that um, kept me in the business was finding out about the insurance consulting side of things mm -hmm. is that made it interesting is that's what I liked about the financial services area is uh, the understanding of how the products work and the fact that I could get paid for it I wasn't into selling whole life insurance policies I was more into how policies worked and how they could benefit people but definitely having that analyst side to things as Max can tell you when I work with him as I ask a lot of questions about the products before I uh, review them with clients definitely yeah which I think is just part and parcel with the job so no animosity there <laughs> um, so what what do you think is the what would you say is the favorite your favorite activity in what you do I mean what where do you get the most satisfaction I get the most satisfaction when um, a uh, client or advisor really feels like they understand their insurance. Um, unfortunately, it's an infrequent uh, feeling uh, in the insurance industry. Most people have insurance policies that they don't truly understand, and when they don't truly understand it, they don't get the full value mm -hmm. of their insurance. They mm -hmm. may let their policy lapse, they may not use it properly, they may not have the coverage optimized. So for me, that's the best moment is when they truly get it. And the way I define that is when somebody truly understands it is when they're able to explain it to somebody else mm -hmm. is when I think somebody truly understands something mm -hmm. rather than just agreeing with you um, about it is when they're able to say, you know, I explain this to my wife or to my best friend right you know and I felt like I was really 
and control the knowledge. And that's that for me is the best part about this business. That's very cool. I know. And certainly, we, you know, that's something that we try to experience every day, too. And as you mentioned, it's not, you know, you don't necessarily always have the willingness from the other side, you know, to, to actually wrap their mind around all these different definitions and possibilities. So Exactly. And sometimes the insurance companies have a very difficult time, mm -hmm. uh, as we both know, uh, in answering questions about their own products. It's, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes makes you wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all have a legal team, so somebody's reviewing it, certainly, yeah. when it matters. Well, we know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so wh what would you say is the most common mistake you see your clients making? I know you had kind of mentioned the, the trend of kind of diving into these variable contracts and things like that, whether that's annuities or life insurance. Um, but, you know, what, what, what is the most common solutions that you're having to sift through? Well, I think the uh, place where people could start out that would be more advantageous to them is to ask themselves what they really are looking for. What goal mm -hmm. are they trying to accomplish? We all talk about getting back to basics and doing fact-finding. Uh, I was just talking with your father, Jack, about this is that disability insurance, for example, is completely undervalued, um, you know, in America as a whole. Mm -hmm. But it's a really valuable type of coverage. But people don't ask themselves the question: Well, what would happen if my income stopped? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the basic question. And people get away from the basic questions and they talk about: Well, you know, does this one have the automatic insurance benefit? Does this one have? <laughs> The, you know, what's the definition of own occupation? Well, really, right. you know, it doesn't matter, if, you know, what those definitions are if you haven't talked to your client about buying a disability insurance policy. What happens if you become disabled? Right. right. I think that's where we need to go as an industry is that we need to get back instead of worrying about all the fancy um, permutations of the insurance policies and answering those very basic questions of what the insurance policy can do for the client. Sure. And I love the way that you kind of initiated the, with the first question, which is what would happen if your income stopped, as opposed to what would happen if you became disabled? Because those are two very different questions in, in, in my experience. You know, you see somebody who has something that they don't that they don't necessarily qualify as a disability, but it's definitely an ailment or some sort of condition that prevents them from accessing their highest potential, which, you know, oftentimes, you know, results in income. So, um, you know, really it's what happens if the income is reduced, what, ha what happens if the income stops. It's not so much about, you know, your ability to, you know, get dressed and go out and have a day or whatever. Um, so thank you for acknowledging oh, that. Sure. So um, that leads me to another point there is that I think the thing that we overlook is that insurance is at its heart a financial leverage tool. Mm -hmm. And that gets directly right. to the point you raise uh, about um, replacing income because it's really a financial question rather than an emotional question. Mm -hmm. And the insurance industry for a long time on the life and health side has trended towards the emotion Mm -hmm. rather than uh, the financial end of it, which is why I think we've had issues as an industry making inroads with the rest of the financial planning industry sure. and with consumers. Right. You, and so when you say emotion, is that kind of a code for fear factor? And, and Like you said, yeah. what happens if you become disabled? Well, right. that's really not the heart of the matter. Right. Um, 
And that's where it comes for me uh, with my analyst background, with my uh, investment major in college, is that it's all about the numbers yeah. uh, to me. Completely. Awesome. So let's see here. What, where do you think the industry is going in the next five to ten years? That's a great question. <laughs> Pivoting a little bit, but, but not unrelated to what we're discussing. Uh, well, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about insure tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the industry as a whole is um, keeping the fax machine alive. <laughs> so, so I think once the insurance Amen. industry learns that most people don't use fax machines, they might be ready to take the next step. They might be shocked. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think one area the insurance industry is starting to come into uh, the technology world, uh, for lack of a better word, is with big data, is mm-hmm. that I think that's something that insurance companies can really understand is the use of big data, and nobody has more data than the insurance industry. Insurance companies, you know, going back to Lloyd's in London, I think in the 1600s, nobody's got more data, not even Facebook, than the insurance industry. True. Uh, And I see that as the insurance companies grow from there, as well as getting comfortable with transitioning to um, using technology in a way that meets with their risk adversity. Mm. Um, What people, I think, oftentimes fail to remember is that part of an insurance company's way of staying in business and being around to meet the future obligations of its policyholders is by taking a profit and by limiting the amount of claims. If an insurance company were to approve every claim that they received, is they would have to charge their clients more money. Right. And uh, you know, so I think that's uh, the thing that's missed is most of the companies that have come in that have been pure technology players in the insurance field, as well as in the financial world, a lot of the fintech companies, or so-called fintech companies, mm-hmm. have been um, swallowed up by traditional financial services company. You know, for example, Northwestern Mutual purchased one of the uh, robo-advisors. That's right. Uh, yeah. So you're seeing that the technology on its own can't work without the historical knowledge of the insurance industry. Sure. Yeah. It's... I heard somebody describe it as a, a Fiborg system one time. I think that was Michael Kitsis' reference. You know, yeah. which is uh, essentially you, it's like a cyborg where it's half human, half robot. But since we're talking about finances, you have the Fiborg system going. Um, let's. Um, so, with that said, and the big data that they're all collecting, I mean, that that could be really extensive. I mean, we're we're talking about collecting blood samples, urine samples. I mean, getting everybody's medical histories. For the most part, mm-hmm. I mean, if those become more digitized, more um, more incorporated in the big in the big spectrum of data, um, I mean, it could be as simple as reading someone's genome or, or something to that effect, which could just completely transform, you know, what risk looks like in the future. Um, do you think there's a place for these insurance carriers? If that's the case, I mean, or is everybody able to identify their own risk and just plan based on that? Well, I think that's an interesting question, and it's something that's starting to be debated by ethicists, Mm. um, is 
well, how much information is proper? Mm-hmm. You know, this, uh, as you mentioned, reading the human genome and genetic testing is being hotly debated for use right. by insurance companies. Insurance companies um, stretch the envelope as well they should um, because that's their right in underwriting is to try to collect as much information and we need uh, sensible insurance regulation to set up uh, restrictions. Um, insurance companies will take as much data as you can give them because they want to make the best possible underwriting decision that's going to be profitable for them. Um, so when you look at genetic testing, the question is, is that more information than you know? Because if they know with 100% certainty that an event is going to occur, they're not going to insure it. Just like um, a homeowner's insurance company isn't going to insure a house that's on fire. They're right. right. Um, so there has to be still the ability to pull risk mm-hmm. so everybody can participate. Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. I mean, the way you explain it, it makes me think of uh, like having, you know, uh, if there's a particular sequence, you know, you might have a rider or an extra, an extra charge for that um, because of that, you know, higher risk sequence or something like that. It's kind of scary. But... Um, all right, all right. Let, let's let's bring it back down to the micro a little bit okay. more. What, what about your business in the next five to ten years? Is that is that going to change at all relative to the scope of things, or are you are you on a trajectory that you you see um, that's staying relatively the same? Well, for myself personally, I see um, it staying relatively the same. Is um, you know, personally, I enjoy um, still reviewing insurance policies mm-hmm. and. Uh, working with financial advisors. Um, I have a limited pool. I see probably, as I've done in the past, having limited uh, consulting functions with insurance technology firms Hmm. or um, companies that are curious about developing their technology side. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other area where I've done a lot of work is um, in insurance consumer advocacy work. So Right, absolutely. Yeah, so I'd like to see that. Unfortunately, there's not as much interest in insurance consumer uh, rights as I was hoping Mm. uh, there would be. No, it's a tricky subject. I mean, people have to be aware that their rights are not being, you know, fully vested, I guess, in, in the sense of it. And it's a tough, tough ladder to climb. Well, I think, um, it, it, can I digress for a minute? Of course, go for it. I, I think um, what we're really facing is that the industry is going to have to really have a come to um, your maker <laughs> yeah. meeting about commissions. Mm. I think uh, we're one of the last uh, financial services industry that still has commissions and I think we're going to have to eventually switch over to a fee-based model. Um, I just read a long article yesterday with um, a number of executives from different insurance companies talking about that and Mm. renewing their efforts for fee-based, no-load life insurance and annuity products. And I think that's where we're going to see the quantum leap in the insurance industry being viewed significantly differently uh, than it's always been viewed. Sure. Um, is when we make that true leap is we always regard ourselves as advisors and most insurance agents do always act in the best interest of our clients. 
However, we're not compensated that way, which always acts as a psychological anchor true. to come to the other side for the consideration. Um, and my tip for that, um, and Max can tell you this, um, as well as his dad can attest to, in 30 years, I have not once asked what the commission rate is on a product yeah. that I've sold, Right. which is how I've partially addressed the conflict of interest rules. I figure if I don't know what the commissions are, that can't impact the recommendations that I make about a product or a rider or anything else. That's a really noble hack. I mean, not a lot of people would even think about it quite in that way, um, but I, I like it. I honestly have a similar perspective. Maybe it's more out of laziness than asking. Of asking than, <laughs> we don't uh, want to say it's laziness. <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> no, just for me, I'm saying that. But uh, no, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely, I think, a... Uh, an ethos that you that more people need to inject into the conversation because it shouldn't matter it shouldn't but it does yeah um so when you're talking about the the reshuffling essentially of the pricing model because i mean that's what we're talking about if you remove the commission you are ultimately that could affect the pricing i guess it doesn't have to materially but um it it would definitely bring the cost of these products much lower um, is that something that you think we'll, we'll see in our lifetime? I think so. Um, you know, where the, the life insurance industry is a dinosaur in that area. I mean, the insurance industry overall is a dinosaur in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you've seen it across, let's say, um, with stocks and mutual funds, um, is Vanguard, for instance, just uh, announced this week that they're not going to charge fees on something like 1,800 different mutual funds for trading them. Wow, yeah. They added another 1,800 to their no-fee list. So basically any um, trade through Vanguard is uh, going to have no fee on it. And so we've seen that trend from front-end loaded mutual funds to back-end loaded mutual funds to mm-hmm. spread loaded mutual funds wow. to minimum expense mutual funds and exchange-traded funds where they're now, where it used to be, maybe 5% going in first year to a 1% each year to now an exchange traded fund is, you know, if you get an S&P 500 index, it might be a quarter of a point mm. um, a year in expenses. So I think that you will see that. It will dramatically lower um, the cost of insurance. Uh, however, it will change the relationship that insurance consumers and insurance agents have with insurance companies. And I think that ultimately it will help everybody. Uh, There won't be as much incentive on the life insurance side to churn and go from one company Mm -hmm. to the other. I think that um, people will retain their policies longer. If advisors are paid, agents are paid on an annual basis, they'll have more um, reasons to retain and service their policies, Mm -hmm. which Ultimately, if you're doing a good job of service and policies, you are going to make uh, more sales down the road, either mm-hmm. through referrals or through the client purchasing another insurance product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it will only have tremendous benefits for all parties. Agreed. And I mean, we, we always talk about how this is such a relationship-based business as it is. And then, you know, there is the transactional side of it, too, yeah. which is, I mean, keeps everybody afloat, honestly. That's where the bottom line gets, gets boosted. <laughs> Yeah. But, um, you know, if you're able to just focus on the relationship and kind of reshape that bottom line and where the revenue is coming from, I think that will do wonders for, for just 
what people want to do too. You know, nobody's in this business for paperwork and transactions. It's all about providing value and and making sure that you know you're helping people achieve their financial goals. So it puts everybody on the same plane, in my it, opinion. Exactly, and it, it takes some of the pressure off because right. um, if you have a sizable you know, fee business, you don't have to worry about the variance of commissions from month to month or year to year. So true. Yeah. Um, you know, it's still, our industry still has a huge churn rate for first-year agents. Wow, yeah. You know, and that's why it's hard to get new people mm-hmm. into the business. The uh, compensation model is just not attractive. Right, agreed. Uh, it's, it's a struggle for a lot of new agents, that's for sure. Um, so what opportunities and challenges are you most looking forward to? I mean, it sounds like you've, you've, you're kind of keeping the door open on a few different, you know, um, directions, I guess you could say. It's yeah. all a similar direction, but, you know, different opportunities maybe. What, what's the most exciting to you at this time? I think uh, the proper use of technology to, if we could somehow um, make underwriting and uh, working with insurance companies little bit easier and smoother um, I think that would be wonderful is um, you know insurance companies doing complete internet applications um, the way the insurance industry transacts new and existing business is archaic um, I keep picking on the fax machine but it's true it's why can't um, like let's take the disability insurance industry for example, why can't there be a uniform disability insurance application just like there's a uniform homeowner's application? Mm-hmm. And then why couldn't that be just submitted right. all online with um, electronic signatures? There you go. Um, that would remove a tremendous amount of friction. Um, I'm not sure what the percentage is, Max, and maybe you can fill me in, but how many applications drop out during underwriting? During underwriting, actually, we have a pretty high persistency rate. I mean, it's not a hundred percent, so yeah. certainly there's some there's some fallout. Um, but I don't know, maybe I'd say ninety percent end up hanging on, but that's okay. still ten percent drop. Which you know, it, I think just it's all a contributing factor too. You know, yeah. if, if for instance it falls out during delivery or after approval or something like that. If the application process has been difficult, and then there's some other triggering effect that happens in the next stage, yeah. that I mean, obviously, it's a contributing factor to, to losing a case. Yeah. So it it's all part of the of the equation. I yeah. think. Well, I know um, you and I a, a case long term care case that I was placing with your agency last year is the client just really by the end of the uh, process he was just not happy and just decide yeah. not to accept the insurance policies because he, you know his comment was if they're this difficult to deal with during the underwriting process what are they going to be like during the claims process it's a fair fair question yeah, yeah. and one that i thought he was right and i couldn't give him uh, an answer to because it was, a, it was a very valid yeah point they made the underwriting process so unpleasant yeah so I, I love this subject because I feel like the technology is available today and yeah. nobody's really creating the disruption quite yet. And in large part due to some of the regulatory environment, you know, it, it would be such a hassle to be the first insurance carrier that, for instance, wants to incorporate blockchain in their underwriting or even in their claims processing um, department. You know, to, to use that level of technology and try to incorporate it in sort of a seamless way from 
the status quo would be a lot to deal with. So I can understand how people are waiting for others to pave the path. I just don't think it's going to be an insurance carrier, like an insurance carrier that we think of today, like a Hancock or a Transamerica or something like that. It's, it's going to be somebody who's a little more nimble and I think makes a big impact, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with Lemonade, if you've been watching yeah, Lemonade? definitely. So uh, Lemonade actually had quite a go with the regulators, mm. uh, with the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, um, and they went to quite a few um, meetings and uh, to talk about their process, and there was a lot of concern on the part of regulators, and I think that some of us in the industry still are somewhat skeptical of Lemonade. Um, but Lemonade is a company that is reshaping how insurance companies underwrite, how they do claims processing, mm -hmm. and they are moving towards that. But what we're really seeing is that there's not a lot of pure play uh, insurance technology companies that the majority of the companies that are making any headway are being invested in by traditional insurance companies. Allstate mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. spreading their money among, you know, multiple um, technology play companies. Mm -hmm. And that when you look at a lot of these companies, um, they're backed or in partnership with a traditional insurance company. Um, a lot of them are just dressed up insurance brokers. Sure. I think a piece of that too, though, is the reserve requirement. You know, in order yeah. to play in this business, you have to have essentially billions on hand to to deal with any sort of adverse, um, you know, uh, claims effect that occurs. Yeah. So it really is a high bar for entry, and you know, with good reason. I mean, there's a reason yeah. why that that sort of regulation was instituted, but it does prevent people from you know people with interesting ideas interesting concepts which may simplify this process for everybody you know we're not able to play in that space because you know you need a billion dollars or even if it's just you know 20 million you know you need to talk to a VC or probably more you know somebody who's going to be have a slightly larger appetite for that conversation would be an existing insurance carrier because they want to be on the forefront or whatever but you have to deal with that baggage too <laughs> exactly and I think that's you're gonna see it come out of one of these accelerator labs that sure uh, the insurance companies have set up is because the technology companies can't do it on their own and I've seen mm -hmm. a few of these technology companies where they don't hire traditional insurance people or they only have like one insurance right. advisor and they, they don't go anywhere mm -hmm. um, because there's so much institutional knowledge and so much complexity you know um, to running an insurance company that you know plus you know as you said the um, barriers to entry, entry in the industry are so high right. that you just can't do it without an established partner right. um, but that's going to be the forefront is the traditional insurance company that really decides to be visionary and have a real partnership uh, in the technology areas where we're going to see that innovation come from. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm eagerly awaiting that that opportunity. We'll see. We'll see where, when, and who it is. Um, all right. So, getting back to you know our businesses mm -hmm. and, and how we work. Um, I guess I, I like to close out with this question. What would you have done differently, knowing what you know today, if anything? Oh boy, Certainly, if you have a 100% track record, by all means, you can say nothing, but 
usually there's something somewhere along the way people find a shortcut or something they wish they had taken well I think um, you know uh, coming in is that I think concentrating and um, having committed sooner to 100% insurance consulting practice mm-hmm. is that for quite a few years I straddled the line towards trying to half run um, a sales business and half run um, an insurance consulting practice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, if I were starting out today I would strictly go straight to insurance consulting with the proviso and you know you can do this with the analyst license is that you can sell a policy as long as you don't take a fee from the same client mm, okay is yeah. so that there's the consulting always opens up the door to that type of relationship that works over the long term because mm-hmm. you've removed that thing where you're on the opposite side of the table as your client your client um, sees you as being a true advisor like they do with their fee-based financial planner or their accountant nobody talks about how their accountant <laughs> is trying to make money off them, <laughs> you know um, as they yeah. do with their insurance agents it's true yeah so yeah it's, uh, that, that that would be the one thing I'd recommend to other people in that uh, I could have done sooner yeah fair point well thank you so much for the conversation today it's been really fun um, is there anything else you think we we need to address um, I think that everybody should get out there and sell more disability insurance. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Definitely thanks. appreciate the plug. Thank you, Tony. Great seeing you. Thanks, Max. And thanks for coming to Plan Francisco. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed. Please be sure to subscribe and visit us again soon here at Plan Francisco.